This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Two summers ago, I was blessed to attend a wedding of a relative in Utah. Now, I am not by nature a skier and thus something of a Philistine when it comes to the amazing slopes that dominate the Park City skyline. Having grown up in one of the flatter parts of North Carolina, the sweeping vistas of the Utah mountains felt like an alien landscape, something straight out of some science fiction movie. You find yourself in these little towns and ski resorts at the foot of the mountains, so far so good. But then your gaze moves outward, away from the trappings of civilization and out to those great mountains, so much vaster and grander than anything built by human hands. It's breathtakingly beautiful, of course, but looking out at it, I also found it somewhat frightening. A part of me wanted to kneel, to anchor myself to the earth, lest I be swept away by some gust of wind. The sight spooked me because it reminded me just how small I really am, how small we all are in the grand sweep of God's immense universe. There's something about mountains that speaks to God's unfathomable power. It's no surprise then that Christ's transfiguration in our gospel story today takes place on top of a mountain and is itself attended by two prophets who experience the power of God upon mountaintops themselves. We have Moses who received God's revelation in a pillar of smoke atop Mount Sinai, and Elijah, who journeyed to that same mountain centuries later to experience God's presence amidst tumultuous silence. Mark's account of the transfiguration is remarkably short, and it leaves us groping for details. All the scripture really tells us about the setting is that the mountain is very high. I've always wondered what it was that Jesus told Peter, James, and John when he led them up that way. It's anyone's guess, really. Maybe there was an enigmatic, come with me, or perhaps I've got something to show you. Whatever it was Jesus said to them, nothing could have prepared them for what they were about to see. Mark, as usual, is a bit light on the details. He was transfigured, scripture tells us, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. That really doesn't give us a whole lot to go on, aside from maybe some internal speculation about a great biblical bleaching contest to see just how white we can really make these robes. 
This amazing moment passes so quickly. For a moment, Jesus is with Moses and Elijah. Peter stammers something incoherent. The voice of God calls down from the heavens, and then it is over. The vision fades. Jesus returns to normal, or at least normal, as the disciples understand it. And they all go on back down the mountain. In another chapter, Jesus will be right back to it, healing a boy with a demon in it. And the moment will go forth unmentioned, at least for now. But the scene of that transfiguration is seared into the minds of Peter and John and James for the rest of their lives. We don't talk about the transfiguration very much at all. And I suspect that the biggest problem is that it's just hard to make a picture out of. The nativity is very cute and marketable. The crucifixion is, if you've spent any amount of time in a church, a bit iconic. But how on earth do you depict the transfiguration? In the little Bible picture books that I read as a kid, the artist would try to give Jesus a little glow up with shining robes and maybe hair that's a little more wild and bedraggled than usual. But that can't be all there was to it. After all, Mark tells us that Peter and James and John were frightened, terrified, scared out of their wits. It takes a little more than some shiny robes and messy hair to do that to a person. Something that is often lost in the more hallmark depictions of our faith is how much time people in the gospel spend being frightened. The shepherds in the fields are terrified of the angels. The women at Easter who find the empty tomb are frightened and run away. The Bible seems to tell us that our first response to an encounter with God is not joy, but fear. And the disciples are indeed terrified. Imagine it from their perspective. Yes, Jesus is their teacher. Yes, they have seen him perform miracles. But he is also their friend, a man of flesh and blood who they have seen laugh and cry, eat and drink. And there on the mountaintop, that flesh is transfigured. For a moment, their earthly illusions are stripped away and they see Christ as he really is, something not of this earth, or at least not the earth as they understand it. How else could they possibly react but with fear? It's our instinct to rush from that terrible moment of fear to the comfort of be not afraid. 
But sometimes we would do well to linger with that fear, if only for a few minutes. The Psalms and other Hebrew scriptures often speak of fear as a natural response to the divine, a kind of holy terror at the immense and unknowable power of God. As we draw closer to the Lenten season, it's worth reflecting that our faith is not always one of comfort and joy. We are told that we live in a fallen world, that by our nature we are sinful beings, cut off from the divine truth of our own creation. We live in sin, blinded to God's presence by our own petty agendas and preoccupations. There is a reason that we come back here week after week to confess our sins, the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone. We are so used to this fallen reality that when God is revealed to us, the shock of that revelation leaves us blinded and terrified. But when we refuse to acknowledge that terror, when we refuse to make space for that holy fear, we cut ourselves off from God's transfiguring power. We blind ourselves to our own desperate need for transfiguration, a transfiguration of ourselves, of our communities, and of our world. We settle back into that old way of being and trick ourselves, replacing the indescribable vision of God with our own diluted and self-centered conception of what God is. This is a vision of God that won't frighten us, won't change us, won't shake us free from our own complacency. A religion that does not frighten us sometimes is comfortable. A comfortable faith, a faith without holy fear, asks nothing of us, no change, no repentance, no call to action, and so cannot truly touch our hearts and transform our souls. But when we allow ourselves to be afraid, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We humble ourselves, decenter ourselves, and cleanse ourselves before God. And such a vulnerable heart is a heart that will not fail to be touched by God's love. In the gospel reading, Peter, as always, stands in for us with his feet on the ground and his head in the clouds, stammering something about making tents for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. As always, Peter's mouth moves faster than his brain. In these moments when the veil between heaven and earth is torn down, we all become like Peter 
babbling something wholly inadequate as the moment catches us off guard and tears us out of the worldly reality that we are all so comfortable living in. But here there is no rebuke, no get behind me Satan. God does not judge us for our mortal limitations. God commands only that we listen and believe and make space for God's transforming power. My friends, holy fear is good. It reminds us that we are not the be-all and end-all in this world. It calls us to humility before God's power. But of course, Fear is not the end of this story. Because once we accept the fear and embrace the fear, we move past the fear and we put our trust in God. We learn to love ourselves and each other, a love not at the world standards, but love as beloved children of God. Only when we allow ourselves fear can we take the gentle call of be not afraid seriously. We find ourselves in this place week after week participating in God's transfiguring power. Beginning with baptism, we are transformed and made new. Fear is with us throughout this long journey. Even as babies, we may have squirmed and cried and cringed away from those life-giving waters. But through those waters, we discovered the joy of Christ's transfigured presence. We climb and we climb the mountain of faith to be awed, touched, and yes, a little afraid. But beyond the awe and the fear is a God who loves us, a God who will wipe away every tear and gather us into God's self, calling us into the joy of the resurrection. Climbing the mountain of faith is a journey that lasts our entire lives. Each day we climb a little further, changing and transforming and growing into our true identities as a children of God. Stop for a moment in your journey and reflect on the fact that you are not the same person who began that journey. Look out at this vast world and be awed by the amazing creation God has made. Give yourself a moment for holy fear and then be amazed by how far you have come in your journey and how far we all have left to go. And then, when the moment passes, keep on climbing. 
Help those around you in their journeys. And do not be afraid to ask for help yourself. We may be small, but we are many. And none of us make this journey alone. <laughs>